Last week, if you missed last week, we, we talked about uh, wives and, and the role of submission to headship there to their husbands. And if you've missed that, I encourage you to go to, to the website and, and take a listen there and spend some time with that and engaging with that. And it really will help put in context of this morning and what we will be talking about now with husbands. So as, dis- as difficult as it might have been for, um, for some ladies, um, married or not, to hear uh, evil, misogynistic male as myself to speak of such things, uh, I think you might be a little happier today because we are going to talk about uh, husbands. Um, and we're talking about how the gospel and how the gospel has transformed us as a church and as a people, including wives and including husbands, and how that transformation of the gospel, the work of grace in our life, has transformed us in such a way that it totally affects or changes the way that we live. In a sense, it is reversing the effects of the fall. Right? That's what the gospel is doing. That's what Jesus is doing, reversing the effects of, of, of the fall. Now, if you are sitting next to your spouse, such as James and Faith and, 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 and these two over here and these two over here, um, Bill and Miss Karen, they've been married long enough, they know, not to sit next to each other when Ephesians 5 is coming down the road, that uh, if you do me a favor, ladies, please do not do any uh, kidney checks with your elbow into your, into your spouse. Um, and this is not ammo to use home to... Um, bludgeon them to death with your words, uh, but I ask that you would prayerfully consider once again uh, uh, verses 22 through 24 that we talked about last week. Uh, pray for your husband as they hear this message, and uh, please engage, but then I'm going to ask you specifically later on to re-back re engage uh, this morning uh, as we uh, unpack the text together. So if we're ready, let's go ahead and read our passage this morning, starting in verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that we as your people could gather around your word on your day. Would you open up our hearts and our minds to see the glories of your Son in this passage this morning? 
Would you take cold hearts that we have toward one another or cold hearts that we have maybe even toward our spouses this morning and, and breathe life and grace into them through the power of your word? Would you help us to have a deep delight for our marriages and that one day, that one day we would see the glory of Christ in them. And so we pray in that name. Amen. I've entitled this message, The Profound Mystery of the Gospel. And of course, you see that from verse 32. I'm not going to skip the passages to the, to the husbands, but we will go through them, unpacking them, and we will lead up to verse 32, which I believe is the, in many ways, I think it might be even the climax of the whole entire book. So we have some important things that we need to discuss this morning. And so let's, let's, let's dive in. Um, so one thing that we wanted to say last week, and I, and I kind of saw it in myself as I was preaching, and then I saw it in our response time. One thing that we wanted to say together was that if the husband was doing what they were supposed to be doing, right? This is what I think the ladies will say a lot. They'll agree on this, and I think we would agree too in some sense, that if the husbands are doing what they were supposed to be doing, acting like good Christian husbands should do according to the text, then, then, then being a woman in submission to their own husband would actually come a whole lot easier. And, and that is absolutely true. And we're not going to miss that fact this morning. We're, gonna, we're, we're definitely going to talk about that and, and, and see that because absolutely those designed roles of, of how we were created to live when they're lived out correctly empowers one another. It, it encourages one another. It uplifts uh, one another. But just as we saw in Genesis chapter 3, that this is very difficult, that sin has entered to the world, fall has hit the world, and, and our relationships and now are now difficult, even with our spouses. And sometimes that is the most difficult of all. Isn't that funny? I've always found that to be really funny in a really sad way, I guess. The one that we love the most is the one that we will sometimes hurt the most. How backwards and reversed and sinful that is. So in addressing husbands this morning, our passage tells us directly in verse 25 to, to love your wives. To, to, to love your wives and to love your wives and love a mate for me, to love my wife as Christ loves the church. This is our role. This is our role as as husbands, and with the new life in Christ and being transformed by the power of the gospel, we see that this is our role, is to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Now, for most men, we would, we would stand if we asked and said, do you love your wife? And we most men said, of course I, I, I love my wife. But this command to love, when we unpack it just a little bit more, we will see that it's actually quite difficult to understand, actually quite difficult to achieve in many ways. And one way that it's so difficult is because how confusing love really is. How confusing it, it, it really is. I mean, if, is there another word in, in our culture today that can, be, that can be used so subjectively than love? You know what subjective means? It means you can use it any way you want. It doesn't have an objective meaning. It doesn't have a defined meaning. It can be used in any way that we want. I mean, because so, so love can be anything that validates, anything that entertains, comforts, satisfies any of my emotional or, or physical desires. And if, if that's what I want, then you must love me like that. 
And if you don't love me like that, then you are unloving or you are intolerant. And sadly, in some marriages, you're no longer the one for me. We say things like, I want to be, I want to be with someone who lets me be me. Have we heard that before? With, with someone who I can truly express myself, be the best that I can be. If this is what love really is, then love has one, one object, and that is you, I. If that's really true, then love is about me. And if you don't love me the way I want to love, I'm packing my bags and I'm leaving. John Piper calls this kind of love, he says, we call it love when people make much of us. Oh, how much this has even been brought into our churches. Uh, Felt needs become the priority. And so the gospel then is bent to fit the the needs and desires and the emotions for people to feel loved and significant and validated and entertained and even charged up. And when the church doesn't do that, when the church doesn't do that, I will once again pack my bags and leave. What commitment? They're not meeting my needs. Now I'm hoping, and I see, and I think we're 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 seeing it develop a gospel culture here in Sovereign Grace that that we're starting we're we're seeing a new definition of what love really is, and that's biblically, and that's what we're going to attempt to do today. But back to men, we may not think that uh, love is like that, or we don't think love maybe is that way because that's more feely or that's more uh, emotional. And I don't really ask my wife if she or, or don't really think about too much if my wife is satisfying my emotional needs, right? I may be the only dude that's like that, but like, I, I don't do that. I, mean, I, just, I don't really think too much. I know my wife does, but I don't really think too much in, in, in that way. But two sides of the same coin, though, is this, is that well, do we pitch a fit when we don't get our way? When our wife is not meeting that need. We assert our aggressiveness when we don't get what we want. And see, it's the same thing. Now, it can be, now, just as it's hard for wives to trust in God to submit to their own husbands, I believe that this command is even more difficult, by the way. And maybe it's because it's the command that's given specifically to, to me. It's not that our, our wives are difficult to love, but, but rather the way that Christian husbands are to love their wives is a pretty high standard. It's the standard of how Jesus has loved the church. So the way that standard is, 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 is not that I love my wife so I take the garbage out, or I love my wife, I put the toilet seat down, or I love my wife and I even pray with them and I read this Bible to them. No, it's what Jesus, what we see in this passage here, strictly the way that I love my, church, or my wife is I come and die. I come and die to myself. And I put myself at the altar for her needs and for her hopes and for her dreams. The mine are not significant anymore. This, is, this idea of, of love is, is so important and so significant that when we turn to uh, uh, Revelation chapter 2, you don't have to, to go there. This love is so important that Jesus, with his letter to the church in Ephesus, he commends them for them, for them standing up for the truth. 
He says, good job. Amidst persecution, amidst temptation to sway and to turn to heresies, you stood the line. You knew the truth and you held fast. But this one thing that I have against you, and that is you have lost or you have left your first love. You've left Christ. You've left me. You forgot about me. And so this morning, as we look at our passage, we're going to look at three different types of ways that we see how Jesus has loved the church and how, he has, and how then husbands then are to love their wives. Number one is sacrificial. Number two is sanctifying. And number three is satisfying. A sacrificial love. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We don't have to spend too much time on unpacking that because what he's saying here is love your wives as Jesus gave Golgotha type love to the church. A willingness to give up himself for his bride, for his church. And this love is not I love my wives as they deserve. It's not a love as we want to be loved or we, want, we think we should love them. But it is a love that looks like how Jesus loved the church. Sacrificial. And as head, as head, as, as God has made man uniquely, as head over the woman in a relationship, this is your primary role as head. Now, ladies, I don't need an amen here. But to be married to a selfish man is just like living with another child in the house, isn't it? Keep your comments to yourself. Abby, you have no right to smile right now. I'm just kidding. She was giggling. <laughs> just like having another child. And for any wife, this is a very difficult burden to bear. But to have a husband who, who lives sacrificially for his wife, as Christ loved the church, doesn't it lighten the load? Lighten that, that, that burden? And when a, when a husband does that, lives sacrificially, the Savior's mentality becomes very visible. Becomes visible to the wife. Becomes visible to, to the world because he is cheerfully taking responsibility to lead and provide and to protect Matthew 28 verse or Matthew 20 verse 28 describes the love that Jesus has for his church. He says even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the love of Christ. And so there's two ways in, in this way a sacrificial love is sacrificial love is a is a call to come and die. The call to to come and die. As much as it is important for us men to provide for our families and materially, we are working hard to provide. That's important, and we put a lot of weight in that. And we put enough weight in that where we actually think that that's absolute, that's it. That as long as I work my job, I provide, the bills get paid, then I can come home and act like a slug. And that's not what this is saying. Come and die and live as what Christ called us to do is the sacrifice even of what we call our spare time, our me time, for our wives and for our families. 
This means we now give up what we want and what we desire, and we put it all at the altar so that we can build up our families and build up our wives. Do we, do we even wonder now why the family is in such bad shape in America? Because men have too much given into themselves and their own desires and what they want, their needs. All the things that we would want to do, we've got to do as single men, we put aside our dreams, our desires, our aspirations, so that we may now love our wives sacrificially. And what we will come to find out, men, what you will come to find out is you are on the greatest adventure yet. They're unknowable. (laughs) I mean, they're like, why is there hard? They're a mystery. There's, There's no greater place to explore and to know and to pursue than our wives. It's a call to, to, to grow up and be a man. To put away childish ways. You see, manhood is not measured in how old you are or whether you can shave or not. I would be in trouble there. But manhood is measured upon maturity. Biblical manhood. Biblical manhood is also not cultural stereotypes. Cultural stereotypes are driving a big truck and listening to country music and all the other things that we call this is what men do is not biblical manhood. Biblical manhood is loving your wives sacrificially. It's the man who works hard all day and comes home and helps his wife. Sacrificially. To be, the, to be the main doer in your household. And just as we saw it, as Jesus says, to be a ransom for many, he also said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Second, a call to come and die and a call to serve. To be the doer. We, talked, we said it last week, that, that is submissiveness in wives, I think, is letting the husband take the initiative. And this is it. Take the lead. Take the initiative. Men, are you the, are you the one that says, let's, dot, 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 more? Do you, say that the, do you say that the most? And I get it. I get it sometimes we, we come home late, we're tired, we're exhausted, we've had a, a long day, and, and there are times certainly where our wives can free us up to rest and to have some time to unwind. But what we were designed for was to plug in even more when we get home. Because the work shift doesn't end there at, at work. It ends, when, for me, when the kids go to bed. And my wife is done with, when I'm done helping her with things. What are we cultivating into more? Our jobs or our wives? What are we serving more? So that's sacrificially. We see how Jesus gave himself sacrificially. The second one is we see a sanctifying love. A sanctifying love. Look at verse 26. He gave himself up for, the, for her that he, may, that he might sanctify her, sanctify, become pure, to become holy, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. Our loves, our love for our wives should be a love that is unselfish and that it brings about sanctification in her. 
And it brings about a, 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 a holiness in her, and it, it encourages holiness in her life and encourages her to, to be more like Christ. Jesus, as this word says, Jesus in his mercy, he sanctifies his church by the washing of the water of the word. I love that. I think that's so sick. That, that is, that's so, it gives us such great image, imagery there. No, wash yourself with dirt. Use water. And there, there's actually more going on in that little saying, and we don't have time to unpack that too much, but, but that gives us a lot of imagery there. Washing of the water of the Word. This washing with the, with the water of, is, the, is the Scripture. It's the, the Gospel. It's how we receive spiritual cleansing. This happens every time we encounter the Word of God. It's happening now. By the washing of the water of the word, by his grace, he has provided that for us. And what does that mean for, for husbands? It means that we are, are to cultivate maturity in our wives to look like Christ. You can't cause the growth of immaturity. You can't, you can't do that. But you are responsible for, for creating or cultivating a fertile soil, an environment for, for, that, to, for that to take place. And so hear this question. Is your wife more like Christ because she married you? Or is she more like Christ in spite of you? It's our job. We cultivate. We lead. We take the initiative. So how do we cultivate? We, 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 are, we have to be in the Word ourselves. We have to be in the Word ourselves. We talk about the scripture with her. We bring it up. We ask her, what are you reading? What are you reading in the Bible? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about, let's talk about theology. Let's talk about what? Let's talk about the sermon. Let's talk about maybe the statement of faith. Let's talk about, let's talk about Christ. Let's talk about how it is we can know him more. We practice spiritual disciplines together. We pray together. We fast together. We read the scripture together. Many men, your wife is waiting on you to lead and to take the initiative here. And the whole goal, the whole, the whole goal is right there in verse 27. Look at it. It says, so that he might present the church to him in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Splendor. Splendor. This, this word splendor reminds us of the word glory. It reminds us of the, the doctrine of glorification. And then that, in that doctrine, it is in which God, His purpose toward us is not just to make you a better person, or in this case, maybe even a better wife, but the purpose in glorification is to become a glorious people. A glorious people that reflects His glory. And so, look what, this is what Christ is doing in, in our church, but as we see this applied rightly, husbands, our goal in sanctifying them, washing them over with the water of the Word, is to make them be in splendor. To be in splendor. 
Husbands, let your hearts be filled with the sense of your wife's greatness and potential. That she is a glorious woman. And she is destined to become a glorious woman. Learn to love her and lead her accordingly. We are called to sacrifice, sanctify, and number three, satisfy. The last way that we are told is to satisfy. Look at verse 28. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands, so in the same way we just talked about Christ loves the church and all those things we just talked about, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Look at verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Nourishes and cherishes it. So, so as the husband loves his self, and we're pretty good at that, as we love ourselves, we are to love our wives as they are a part of us. One flesh union. Joined together in union. And so as we want to satisfy ourselves with, with good food and entertainment and, and, and nice luxuries and nice beds to sleep on and all those things, we want to pamper ourselves that and more we should be doing for our wives. Satisfying them. Nourishing them. Nourishing is just like cultivating and washing with the water of the Word. It means to develop, to nurture, to, to lift up. To nurture your wife as you would nurture yourself in a healthy manner. And this kind, of, this kind of care, this kind of nurturing and care that we are to have over our wives gives dignity to her and care and worth to her because we care about her nourishment. Ephesians 6.4, we'll actually get to this passage next week, but this same word is used again in talking about how fathers are to bring their children up in discipline and instruction. To nourish our wives, men, means that we are, that means we have a hope for them. To be nourished and to be healthy. To be nourished and to be healthy. The second word there's cherish. And this goes even deeper than nourish. Nourish, I think, is more in the in the physical way of taking care of, but cherish goes so much deeper emotionally here because it means to comfort. It means to, to warm or to soften with heat. Over the last week or so, I, I don't feel too much this morning, but, but I've, had a, I've had a knot in my neck about right here, and I was sitting at my desk one day, and I was working, and I just turned and looked at something, and it was just like, you know, you know how that comes sometimes happens? And, and I was just been hurting for the last couple of weeks, and so I got a heating pad out. Man, that thing's awesome. I wish I could sleep with that thing. Maybe I can't, actually. Uh, I think it's amazing. And, and I would put it here, and, and I would let it just do what? What does it do? What does that heat do? It softens. It softens those knots out. And so then my, my wife lovingly serves me and would give me a, uh, uh, like a three-minute back rub in between 
times when uh, you know Lydia's not going crazy or something, and, and it was awesome. It softens, it warmed it up in the same way as that, that uh, heating pad, cherish, right? Heated up the, the knot in my, in, in, in my neck, the same, same way cherishing does for, for the wife. And man, this is where you, maybe me definitely, I need help with. Like, if it was, I ask, yeah, absolutely, I cherish my wife. He'll never hear this, but you know who's really good, and you can get really good tips for cherishing his wife? Joel McKinnon. For those who know Joel McKinnon, if you need some tips, ask him. He's awesome. Um, sorry, Joel, if you ever hear this. So what is the demeanor toward our wife? What, is it heartwarming? Is it heartwarming? Does your, does your wife feel as if she's just your maid? And maybe your mom? Your servant? No, our wives are to be cherished and loved and, and valued. And if we value something, then we will prize it. We will, we will treasure it. And you know, if you, you value something, you also won't compare it to other things either. You won't compare it to other things. If you, you have something that you love, what you don't like is when someone comes up and says, look, I got the new one. I'm not, man, I, like, I love mine. No, we, we cherish it. We value it. Don't compare your wives to other things. Value her. You know, to compare her to someone else and to compare her to, to other women or whatever it is, how cowardly is that? How cowardly is that to take their, their weaknesses and compare it to someone else's strengths or your strengths? That's weak. That's immature. That's not valuing. That's not prizing. That's not cherishing. Now, verse 29 can make sense for us, right? We, for for though, no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes just as Christ does the, the church. No normal sane man hates his body. If they do, there's a problem. No normal sane man hates their body. Don't get me wrong. Listen. Listen, bros, we look in the mirror and we're like, yeah. I know, I do. Billy said not to get personal, I'm sorry. <laughs> Too late now, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I know, we, we look in the mirror, we see things that are wrong, we see things that are, we don't like, but we don't use that as an excuse to destroy ourselves, to attack or to savage our bodies, no. Instead, we take what, what we got and we make the best of it. In the same way, listen, your wife is not going to be ideal in every way, but she's still your wife. And in that one flesh union and one flesh bound in every way, she is still a part of you. Despite the imperfections, Christian husbands, we, sure, we are to nourish and cherish our wives. Nourish and cherish our wives as, as women who are destined for glory and splendor. You know, it's not hard to find a wife who's cherished and nourished. You ever notice that? You ever, you ever met someone who's like that? That one who's cherished and nourished, it's beautiful. And that wife, she knows that, that her husband is not perfect. Understands that. And knows that he's not always good and he's not always kind. But he always has thought of her needs and always has cared for how her life is going, how her walk with Christ is going. 
So at times, listen, men, at times she's going to reject your nourishing. She's going to reject your cherishing and your, your care. Just like the church. But that doesn't mean we don't keep cultivating. And we keep going. We keep loving. We keep staying faithful as Christ does for such a rebellious, stubborn church. And this gets us to the fall. I'm going to put up Genesis chapter 3. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But in Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, shows us the curse. and shows now that once again, just as it is difficult for the woman to be uh, submissive to her husband because she will want to assert her will over the husband, same thing with this fracture of the fall. Men will seek to be aggressive or seek to be passive in their roles. Genesis chapter 3. And turn there. Verse 16, I'll read that one again. To the woman he said, I will, put, I will surely multiply pain and childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So in that, we see he shall rule over you. There's the, there's the idea there of the temptation of men to just be ruling over our wives. To tell them to do something just because I said it. And we assert this stance or this posture of authority that has never been given. That's not submissiveness. That's not headship. That's not Christ's love. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have not eaten the tree of which the commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curse the ground because of you, and in pain, in pain you shall eat all the days of your life. And in this, because Adam was passive, meaning he sat back and watched the Satan and serpent tempt his wife and like a dummy ate of the fruit. Sat back, passive, weak. I don't believe this culture that manhood is to be weak and feminine. You're not created that way. Masculinity is good in a biblical God-honoring way. In a sinful way, it's aggressive and it's abusive toward women. But in a biblical way, it's beautiful and glorious and joyful. So here's the temptation. So in that, we also see here where, where now pain shall be given to us because all the days of our life and our work, thorns and thistles shall, be, shall bring forth to you and you shall eat of the plants of the, of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken and for dust, and for you are dust and dust you shall return. Not only is there death being entered the world, but now, as we know, work can be difficult. Like, we're always created to work and we're created to work hard. Work hard, men. That's your biblical mandate. To not work hard when able is sin. You're created to do so. But sometimes there's thorns and thistles. In college for me, thorns and thistles is when the dumb thumb drive stopped working and I lose my term paper. Right? Or, or when things just don't go away. You lose your tool or you're trying to do something and something breaks or things just aren't working out. Those are the, the thorns and thistles that pop its way up that make work that much harder. You lose a paper. You forget about a deadline. Things like that. But even so, brothers, let's not think that that only pertains to our work at work, but also our work at home. 
Sometimes those thorns and thistles will, will peek their heads into our homes and into our families and even into our wives who are fallen like us. But men keep cultivating. Men keep plowing. Men keep pulling weeds. We don't stop. We keep going. And you're like, you know, what if my wife resists? She does. She resists all the time. Proverbs 5.18 says, let, the, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Go back and think about the woman and the girl that you fell in love with. Rejoice in her and keep going. This is the hardest work that we'll, we'll ever do. We have to overcome our passivity to abdicate our role as the initiator in our homes. And we also have to overcome our aggression, our, our anger, our desire to dominate over our, over our wives and not lead them lovingly as Christ would love the church. But we are to cultivate work in the gardens of our homes so that the glorious seeds of the gospel will take fruit. Men, what our world doesn't teach you, and maybe no one has ever told you, is that this is what you were created for. This is what you were designed for. This is what you were saved for, and at this point it's not even too late. Now, let's get to the crescendo, the climax. So as we talked about how what love means and how husbands are to love their wives. I think in a sense now we're going to see this overwhelming beauty and grace. Now ladies, this is the point I want you to check back in, not that you haven't, I think most of you all have. This, this very idea, when we think about marriage and what this passage unpacks for us and shows us is just amazing. It is so glorious. It is so profound. Now, when we think about just marriage in, in, in general, marriage, though, is, is common. It's common, right? I mean, we've been to several weddings, and, and, and truthfully, I've, I've never had someone come up to me and say, hey, you got a, what's that ring on your finger? And, and I'm like, uh, I'm married. And they're like, whoa, you're married? Check this guy out. He's married. Dude, look at this. Marriage isn't the unicorn. It's not the end of the rainbow. Marriage doesn't necessarily astound us unless maybe the day that we're getting married and, and in some sense it can, but it's common. But in Christian marriage, what we see here in Ephesians 5, it becomes very profound. And because we have been given new eyes, because we have been given new hearts, I think we can see this. So, so, so lean in here and, and, and listen. May the Lord give us discernment as we look at this. Look at verse 30. Coming off the idea of the, the one flesh union, right? right? No man ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it, cherishes just as Christ loves the church because we are members of his body. Now, do you, do you see what's going on? Let me just tell you. We. We meaning who? The church. But he goes to this third-person pronoun here just because he's saying it's getting personal. This one-flesh 
union, yes, absolutely before the church, but now it's getting really personal and dealing with the church is a part of my body. I am in union with her. To Jesus, this is very personal. Very important. Very important because Jesus has died to bring His church closer to Him. To be brought near. To be saved by grace and have sin removed and be given a new hearts and new minds. In fact, it is His church that indwells the deepest part of Him. We were the ones, the church was on His mind when He was dying on the cross. This is very personal to Jesus. So when He says we are members of His body, it is as when John Calvin said, we hear our Lord Jesus Christ call us to Himself and tell us that we are so joined to Him that He does not have anything of His own which He does not share with us and of which He does not have us as partakers. Could there be any other way, greater way that Jesus has loved us than to bring us in union with Himself and His body? And you see how big now the one flesh union in marriage is between man and the woman? Now this is where it gets mind-blowing. Look at verse 31. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Quoting from Genesis 2.24, we read this last week, we dealt with the 2.24 last week. And in Genesis chapter 2, the context of therefore is explaining how, how Eve was created as flesh of Adam's flesh and bone of Adam's bone. But the therefore now, the therefore now, is referring to, going back to the fact that we are members of Christ's body. Jesus' love for His church. So here's what I mean by that. Every marriage, every marriage, people, or let's just refer, people get married because of the love of Jesus, whether they know it or not. Let me explain. So, so every desire that we feel and stirrings for, for romance, when we start spending time together, we take long walks on the beach and around lakes and ponds and we, we, we sing to each other or we, we dance when our song comes on the radio and then when we're in love so much, we make that huge commitment of marriage. It is pointing to something so much deeper than just our human emotions and our experiences. It even goes deeper than Adam and Eve and that's what Paul's saying here. It goes deeper than Adam and Eve because it is about what God has done in uniting Christ with this church. It is the eternal love story. Every marriage points to this eternal love story of Christ and His church and the uniting and bringing together of one body. All of creation, all of the universe was pointing toward this marriage between Christ and His church. And one day, Oh, one day we will be united again with our husband. And how glorious that will be. And we'll be presented in splendor without, without wrinkle or spot or blemish. Got a lot of blemishes. 
But what a promise. So marriage was given in the garden as it is given now. And it's why couples fall in love and still get married today. Whether they realize it or not, every time they take of their vows, they are reacting the biblical love story. The divine intervention that we saw in, in Ephesians 2.4. But God. Going after His bride. Going after His church. Going after His elect. The story of Jesus stepping down. Entering, in eternity, entering time from eternity. Taking on flesh. Pursuing and winning His bride. The very heart of His body. The very essence and loving us forever. This is the super reality why marriage exists. It's why we get married. It's why we hold marriage up. And this is truly profound. And as Christian couples, husbands and wives, we have the privilege of making known this profound mystery of the gospel to the world today as we live out Ephesians 5. So our roles aren't just dutiful commands that you are to do joylessly. No, you do it in a way to pointing to something greater. And here's a little encouragement. Because our marriages aren't perfect, are they? They're, they're not perfect. And here's the encouragement. They don't have to be. They don't have to be perfect. Our, our small marriages, they're only momentary. They're only metaphors. They're, they're only metaphors that, that point to a greater reality of the profound mystery of Christ's deep love for His elect lady, the church. My marriage, your marriage, all points to that. So our, our metaphorical marriages as husbands and wives are incredibly important, but they all point to that eternal love story. And in our small marriages as well, we can draw from the strength of the real marriage. We can draw from the real strength of our real marriage that we have with our Savior. And so when we see verse 33, the practical demonstration of the gospel in our marriages comes down to two things. You can look at it. It comes down to love and respect. All two which things of the gospel work that drives in the man and the woman is reversing what we saw in Genesis chapter 3. And through that, every Christian husband, they will, they will see that as they love their wives, they will, they will love their wives as himself. And we'll see that as a Christian wife, as they grasp the, the gospel, they will respect her husband as her head. And we too can display the world, to the world, the eternal romance of Christ and the church. Humankind, over the last hundred years or so, has done a terrible job at this. Do we, do we wonder why, why, why marriage is in condition that it is today? Where some people say it's not even necessary to, to have families. To, to live together and have families and have children, that, that marriage is not even necessary. That it's just something that man created to pay taxes. Actually, I think you get a better tax break when you are married. But it's so much more. And we, 
could show this to the world. We could show meaningful biblical marriage as, as uh, biblical men and as biblical women. Let's cultivate the gardens that the God has given to us men. The weeds might have taken over. There might be years of neglect. We might have put our wives in unfair positions that they have had to take the initiative even though they didn't want to. It's time for us to take the lead. It's time for us to take the stand. To lead, to be the one who says, let's more. To show our wives the gospel, to repent to them for the ways that maybe we have failed. And to ask them for help. Loving help and encouragement in the places where you need help. That's why God gave her to you as a helper. Let's pray. Father, I help, help us now to marvel in the profoundness of the gospel. This mystery. This mystery of Christ's loving his church and uniting us in his body. As he cherishes us and as he nourishes us and, and presents us and prepares us for splendor and glory, oh Father, I pray for husbands this morning. I pray for our future husbands this morning that we would do the same for our wives. To lighten the load for them. To let them have deep joy and great joy as they serve and submit to the headship of their husband. And then as we practice biblical marriage in our church, I pray, Father, that it is used in a profound way to point our lost world to the gospel, to the glorious gospel of your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name.